Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another interview. And as always, this is one of my favorite things to do because I get to talk to other Lego investors and actually kind of hear the stories of people getting started with this stuff, hear the success stories, hear how different backgrounds can apply uh, apply to the Lego investing business. And I'm here with Sean Carroll. Uh, Sean, very excited to have you here. You have an extensive business background, investing background. I'm excited to kind of talk a little bit about how some of those things are now being used in your Lego investing journey. So firstly, thanks for being here. Of course. Yeah. When I saw that you posted that you were looking for interviews, I, I jumped on it right away. Uh, just, I love doing, I love talking about business, talking about stuff. So I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. One of my favorite things is just talking to like-minded people about this stuff because you know, there's not enough people in my life who understand it. <laughs> so sure. it's great. Yeah, That's- it's great. And so Sean, like, I'd like to start off with a little bit about your business background uh, because you know, it's pretty interesting. And you, you shared with me that you run a consulting practice. Is that right? It was, it was at uh, hrkickstart.com. Yeah. So, so how does, you know, I guess we'll start there because that, you know, obviously is kind of leading us up to your Lego investing journey. And I think it's, uh, it's super interesting that you have another business in a whole separate area, obviously with, you know, consulting. Um, so can you give a little bit of background on, I guess, your journey into business in general and building up hrkickstart.com. Yeah, absolutely. So HR Kickstart is a, is a consulting company that provides human resources services. My wife is my business partner. She's the HR expert. I'm the sales and marketing brain and the strategic brain, the CEO, if you will. She's the talent. She is a wizard with working with startup companies and small businesses to help them with their people challenges. And every business, if they want to grow, you need people. You need good people and you need to inspire people. So um, we partnered on that relatively recently, about a year or so ago, uh, she was doing some consulting on her own. And then we just decided to bring my brain to her, to what she was doing. And, and the business has blown up since. It's not all my doing, but what I've, what I've brought to it is just more of a, um, a promotional aspect and also a strategic aspect. So she can focus on doing what she does best. I've been an entrepreneur in some fashion or another since I've been 17. Um, I've also been a school teacher. I've been a real estate agent. I've done all kinds of things over the years. Uh, Probably the the thing that I've done the most over the last 20 years has been some element of coaching or consulting. So um, I did have a digital marketing agency for six years or so. Then I got into acting and did that full time for a while while the digital marketing agency was kind of fueling me financially. And I still do uh, have some marketing clients that I work with. I don't really promote that as much, but we use a marketing team to promote the HR business. And then I also work with a few companies that want to use our marketing uh, work for them. So we'll do social media and things like that. But so all of that to say, I love business. Uh, I've always loved the idea of kind of having that ability to not cap my upside potential, to be able to move and pivot as I felt like we needed to. And then when when Lego investing came along, that was about a year or so ago, I, I tried just fooling around with flipping stuff online. My first, my eBay account was opened in 1997. So that'll give you some context. Ooh. I don't know if that makes me an OG or not, but <laughs> when was eBay, when was eBay started? In the nineties, it was yeah, like I think maybe 94, 95, somewhere in there. Right. So um, my first flip online was a baseball card, kind of like Gary V, right? I, and I, and the person had to send me a paper check in the mail because there was no PayPal. Oh, so wow. That's how far back I go. Um, so that brings us to today, the last year. Or so I've really been, as you can see behind me, um, really committing to, to, to seeing what I can do with Lego investing. And it's been great so far. Love it. Yeah. That's incredible. 97. I, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. Like I, I, I'd love to actually go back and just kind of jump in a, a time machine and go back and look at eBay.com at that time. <laughs> I know you can use some tools online to actually see websites, uh, you know, a couple of years back, but I don't think we can go back to 97. It was wild. Um, it was, it was so yeah. like, it was so hard to do a transaction. Like compared to now, I mean, back then we didn't think it was hard. We thought it was incredible. Like, wow, I just sold this thing to some dude, you know, across the country and I'm going to ship it to him. And, but it was very clunky and uh, I don't think anybody saw where it was going really, but uh, so it's 20, what, 26 years now. And shipping, you know, like even the shipping processes have come so far in the last even five years, 10 years, because now they've, you know, integrated it all into the eBay platform, into the Amazon platform. You can buy your shipping through there. 
Um, you can, you know, obviously things have become a lot more affordable when it comes to things like a, a shipping scale that you can have at home or a label printer. So you can quickly kind of do everything from home. You yeah. don't need to really go to the post office, at least in the United States, a lot when you're running an e-commerce business, um, you know, so but like I think there was a, a taboo around selling online and, and the difficulty with shipping for a long time. And I can't imagine what that was like in, in 97, you know, it was, just, it was tough. Yeah. And I, I, and I wasn't selling high volume, but I was in college at the time. And I was, so my, my game in college while I was in college was I would stay up until three in the morning and watch these shop at home things on TV. And I would buy these giant lots of baseball cards or memorabilia that they were selling super, what I thought was super cheap. Uh, and then I would take them sort through and find the good stuff and then sell them on eBay one at a time. And I, back then I think I would make, you know, maybe 50 to a hundred dollars a month. But for a college kid that, that would, you know, a hundred bucks was like in 1997 was, would, would cover my beer money for a while. So um, that's, but, but the shipping you mentioned, it was like, do I send this in a white envelope? And then I was always paranoid that they weren't going to get it. And, and, but if I paid for tracking, then it wouldn't be profitable. Like there was this whole like game I had to play just to, just to make it work. But yeah. it was, it was fun. It was fun. And the trust element, you know, oh, as yeah. well is, is something like e-commerce now is so common. And, you know, yeah. the, your neighbor down the street is also flipping things online. So you're not worried about it and stuff. But back then people were kind of like, am I really going to send my yeah. thing to some stranger on the other side of the country? And, you know, Especially if it was expensive. Like if it was yeah. if it was an expensive item and I'm, I'm putting in the mail, I just kept gaming through the scenario. He says he didn't get it. How do I prove he got it? How do I prove how do I what if he says he didn't get it, but UPS says he got it? And I still think about mm -hmm. that stuff now, but just the tracking and the process and the fact that they take photos of it when it goes on your doorstep now, that that you know, that would have been real handy in, in 1997. I never got burned though, thankfully. I, I, I don't recall a scenario where I shipped something and I, I there was ever an issue. I still have a hundred percent feedback score on eBay even after 26 years. So Wow, yeah, that's great. Yeah, everyone was too busy doing all of their their shady, shady internet activity on Napster and they were not doing <laughs> right. <anything>. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Love it. That's great. Okay. So really with Lego investing, you're going back to your roots. This is not a new thing for you. Like you're kind of re-exploring something that you used to do back then with your baseball cards and everything. So that's fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love flipping stuff and it's it's something I wish I had a little more time to do because I, I I just like studying markets. I love the idea of arbitrage. Even in my business with the HR business, I'm always looking at how can we arbitrage something to to provide better service to uh, get a get a competitive advantage. And so mm -hmm. that, that from uh, just studying that is probably my favorite thing about Legos is um, and and there's a certain level of ego to it. I think just like being right and seeing something that other people didn't see or um, timing something and being willing to take a risk on it and then capitalizing on it. Just there's a sense of pride I get from that. So I don't know if that makes me weird, but that's part of what drives this whole thing for me. You know, it's so interesting to hear you explain it like that because I don't think I've heard anyone phrase it like that. But now that you're saying it, I, I realize and that's exactly how I feel as well. You know, and that, and sometimes I call Lego investing a game. I, I very much see it as a, as a business. I treat it very strictly like a business, but you know, I still call it a game every so often. And I think the reason I do that is because subconsciously, I just think it's the most fun. It's the most fun type of business out there. And I've never sat down to think, why do I think it's so much fun? And, you know, the obvious answer would be watching your watching the values, watching the price uh, charts of a set that you invested in going up is obviously a lot of fun. But there's also going to be an element of proving yourself right, uh, you know, of like almost some of the things that people enjoy about gambling, which I never like investing is not gambling. So I am not right. saying that, but some of the benefits that people like about gambling of like making a choice and then being proven right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the, the, uh, the hit of adrenaline that you get when you are right. And it's a financial gain. Right. And we, with Lego investing, I think one of the great things about it is that we can learn how to create that. We can learn how to manufacture it by figuring out how to beat the game because the game is actually winnable with Lego investing. You can learn how to do it really well, and then you can win again and again and again. And so it's really fascinating way to phrase it. I love that. Um, okay. So um, I definitely want to talk a little bit about the realization of Lego investing for you, because it's something I ask everybody. And I think it's so fascinating. Um, but before we get to that point, in terms of, you know, your your other business, you mentioned that the HR kickstart.com is actually just around a year old. Um, but you have, you know, tons of experience with mar running a marketing agency and different things like that. And so um, I guess 
Can you walk us through a little bit on why you decided that it was time for something new to re revisit e-commerce or to explore that? Because there, you know, there's some definitely some overlap of skill sets from something like digital marketing to e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a, a, a big gap in skill sets. You're moving from selling a service or a digital product to selling, uh, you know, physical goods and and what and the differences that are involved with that, obviously. So um, why did you feel like it was time to, to do that leap? Yeah. Um, so a couple, couple things. First of all, I get asked the question a lot. Why would you spend time doing something like this when you have these other businesses that require no product, much higher margins, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the, well, first of all, I, I believe in having multiple ways to make money at all times. I, I really like the idea of um, just setting things up with consistent action, which creates consistent income. And so that the e-commerce has always fascinated me in that way. And I've never found a way yet to do it at a scale that would make it even worth it. And, and so I started to come across um, a couple of different arbitrage opportunities. You know, there's textbooks, there's, you know, just plain old online arbitrage. And then I, I got introduced to this idea of Lego and what attracted me to it was that the probability factor that there were actual statistical things you could see in advance following prior trends that would repeat with a high degree of probability. And once I saw that, and then I saw and really started to understand how Amazon worked and how Amazon FBA in particular worked, it clicked for me. FBA, uh, Amazon FBA was something that always intimidated me. I always thought it was something that it was going to take a lot of time for me to learn that I would not be able to figure it out or that I would have to devote all this time to like managing it all day, every day. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It requires your attention. It is not like you got to pay attention. But once I saw that it was doable, then I got excited. And I, I and then what really did it for me was, you know, when, when I made my first profitable sale and I thought, well, okay, why did that work? Let me try. What if I did that at 5x or 10 or 10x and started to see that no it actually does follow repeatable repeatable patterns and so uh, that then I just started to step on the gas which is how we ended up with what you see behind me um, the other thing about it was I was coming out of uh, I also am an actor I did mention that so I do musical theater um, I kind of choose projects that excite me I don't I don't do that full time I was going pretty hard on it for the last couple of years and I had a period where it was coming to like kind of a conclusion of my contracts. And I had a little window of time where I was helping my wife get, get HR moving. Um, and also, um, you know, getting the digital marketing agency stable again, cause I had taken some time away from it. And I had this window and I thought, well, we're coming up on fourth quarter. I heard you talking about fourth quarter, you know, and, and what happens with Legos in the fourth quarter. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity. Let me spend some money now and see what happens. And so it all kind of landed right around this time last year, September, October, where I started to invest more heavily. Um, and here we are. So, um, and, and it is fun for me. I mean, Amazon annoys me sometimes and all that, but really that what attracted me most to it was just the enjoyment factor of, of being able to put some work in up front and, and then follow the, you know, follow the profitability. And so I, it, it became like almost a mini addiction at that point. <laughs> I love, yeah. I just love the way you're breaking this down because, you know, it, it obviously shows your kind of background with business to be able to be so systematic about it because you're, you're basically saying that you could see that there was a, there you know, there was a predictability element of Lego investing, where you could look at history, you could look at trends, you could look at data, and you could figure out which sets to invest in. And then, you know, when you layer that on top of this idea of um, getting little wins, and then analyzing why it was a win, and then doubling down on it, right? Yeah. And that's something that, you know, the best business owners know exactly how to do, right? It's when you when, when you get a win, or when you have a failure, look at why why that happened. And so, and I, I think it's something that a lot of Lego investors are probably not doing enough of, which is looking at your past sales when you're trying to figure out what you should be investing in this year. You know, if you're trying to think, okay, so what are my winners that I'm going to pick this year? If I'm going to invest in 10 SKUs, which ones should I do? And let's say it's your second year as an investor. And last year you bought 30 SKUs because a lot of new investors go broader for more diversity and to learn the market. I totally and let's say you got 30 SKUs. Now you look at your history, figure out what worked figure and then think, why did it work? And will it work again? 
And that's what you just said, right? It's, it's why did it work and will it work again? And then we double down and we double down. And, and then when you layer that into the last thing that you said there, which is it's a ton of fun, it becomes addictive. You know, it's, it's almost like, um, it's a repeatable process when you learn how to look at what works and it's also a lot of fun <laughs> to repeat it. And so it's a perfect storm of being able to grow a business in a, in a way that's actually enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And, um, also, you know, I liked what you said about layering some e-commerce in, but it doesn't need to be the biggest, you know, the, the only way you're going to make money in the future, right? It's, it's the kind of thing when you have other businesses, Lego investing can slot right in alongside it because of using FBA, because of using, you know, the seasonality of it, which, you know, is a big driver of different parts of the year that you're going to be busy versus other times where you're going to be a little quieter and then layer that in with your other business models. Um, makes a lot of sense. That's, that's yeah. great. And so I guess, you know, to take us back to when you first discovered Lego investing, what was that like for you? How did you even, do you remember how you even saw that Lego sets can multiply in value? And what was that, <laughs> what was that journey like for you? Um, it was probably, I mean, it was probably one of your videos um, where I, I don't know if you were the first person that said it. I think I had heard it before, but then when I saw, I, I think there was a video I saw of yours where you were actually breaking down certain sets versus other sets. Right. And um, I think you were talking about a Star Wars set and that made complete sense to me as a, as a Star Wars fan. And I thought, well, of course, that's one of the most popular sets. Um, and I just, I instantly got it. I instantly, I saw it and I said, yes, that makes complete sense. Now, sometimes I'll look at, a business idea and it'll take me a minute to figure it out. This one, when I saw it, it, first of all, I didn't even know that Lego retired stuff. Didn't even know that until, until I came across this idea of investing. I, I had no idea that they stopped making, you know, things. I, I figured they just kept, you know, making the same sets over and over. Why wouldn't they? Because if it's profitable, why wouldn't they keep making them? Yeah. And I learned, oh, they, they actually retire some sets. And then it made even more sense to me because as a baseball card guy, I'm like, you can't get any more, you know, 1989 Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards. They don't make them anymore. Mm -hmm. But the, the amount of people that want them either stays the same or grows and therefore supply and demand has to push the price up. Um, right. And I also remember um, this idea of buying a bunch of sets, baseball cards in the nineties that, that were overproduced that are still worth the same as they were in 1994. And I thought, well, this just looks like baseball cards to me, just in a box with pieces. Um, and it's just a matter of figuring out which ones people want the most, why, and then seeing if you could predict that with any certainty. And people still do that with baseball cards. People still look at, um, well, who are the hot players? What are the hot boxes? Should I gamble on this one or that one? Uh, but this to me, that's a lot more random. I feel like there's way more control with uh, things, controllables with, with Lego. And so here's the other crazy part. I've never owned a Lego set in my life until I bought my first one to, to invest in. Now, I don't know if that's common or uncommon, but that's, I'd I was a Transformers kid, GI Joe. I never was into Legos. I wasn't anti-Lego. I just never had one. <laughs> yeah. It's so, actually more uncommon. Um, yeah. Most people I asked this question to had some sort of background with Lego. You know, maybe they were growing up with it. And I, I put a, a poll into one of our communities, our free Facebook group at one point, uh, asking the question, Did you were you a Lego fan who then discovered investing and decided to make a business? Or were you a business person, an e-commerce seller, an online seller, Amazon seller, thrifter, eBay seller, who right. discovered Lego as a product category? And it was something like 90, 90 something percent were Lego fans first. Okay. So I'm in the 10%. So exactly. Um, yeah, it was now, obviously I was familiar with Lego. I knew what they were. I, every, a lot of people I know have them. I've, I've given them as gifts to people that said they wanted them, but I never was into putting the sets together. Um, it just wasn't something I did as a kid. And, but then what, what, attracted me to it was I also didn't know that Lego made stuff that was Star Wars and Harry Potter. And like, I've been a huge Star Wars fan my whole life. So even though I never owned a Star Wars Lego, when I started to see the detail and the, and the beauty of these sets, it attracted me even more. So there is an aesthetic um, attraction for me to it. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't opened any boxes that I've purchased, but uh, I, it's getting harder and harder to do as I look back at some of these, some of these you know, helmet sets I have back here. I just want to build one. <laughs> Cause I, I really do love the brand. 
Yeah, and you're as more as you as your knowledge grows more as you even simply analyzing the sets a little more and looking at what's inside the box. Because before you were a Lego fan, you probably remember Lego as a kid's toy from 20 years ago yeah. that is lacking in detail, you know, and just like big back in the day, there were just colorful blocks, you know, yeah. they're, they're big red and big yellow blocks and everything. And when you even take the time now to walk into a Lego store and look at what's inside the box, you quickly realize that things are very, very different today than they were back then in terms of the level of detail and the design and different things. And it's just their designers have come so far. Their target audience has changed and now they're targeting adults with big, you know, grand epic visual sets. So they're a very different company now. When you start to realize it, you know, it can become enticing. Um, yeah, I, it's um, it's inter it's an interesting journey, I think, to to come from the business side into Lego investing and start to realize what the opportunities are and different things. Uh, fascinating. So um, you've been selling for around a year now. And actually, real quick before I move on, I do want to just acknowledge the, you know, the, the, the thought process that you're talking through and the realization of, well, like, could this be a thing? You didn't really realize that Lego sets uh, even retired and everything. Because I had the exact same, you know, I, like it's almost like a step-by-step -step realization. The first realization is, well, this Lego set is selling for three X the MSRP. You know, why is that? Right. So that's the first one is like Lego sets can go to three X or MSRP. Then I had a realization. Oh, wait a second. Um, they stopped manufacturing. So, you know, they're like, they're, they retire and, and they stop making the old stuff and they make new stuff. And then the third realization is, oh, that happens on a cycle. <laughs> right. So yeah. th if it happens on a cycle, can we figure out the cycle, <laughs> right? And then it's kind of like, and then step four is, oh, so if I look at old sets after they retired, I can start to predict, you know, the the, the new sets and what's going to happen. So all of these things hitting you one after another, after another, after another, and all the realizations and the jaw dropping more and more when you start to realize what's possible. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, okay, so and in terms of the journey so far with the Lego investing, so you've been doing it for around a year. Obviously, we can see in the background you've, <laughs> you have not slowly entered the market. <laughs> taken it. Quite I don't know how to do that, man. Like I, I, once I figure out something that that's exciting and I see some, that, that it starts to be profitable or exciting. Um, it's a, it's a strength in business that I have a bias towards action, but it can also be a blind spot if I'm not careful. So we'll talk about some of the mistakes I made, I'm sure, but yeah. like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know how to go in slow. I just, I, I wish I did sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a common, you know, it's, it's, it's very common with this because of the excitement that I just talked about, right. It's the excitement, the realization, and it can lead to new Lego investors getting a little trigger happy, jumping in a little too soon. Um, you know, so it, I think it is very important for anyone who's listening, uh, who is newer, to try to, you know, keep your discipline in the beginning so that you learn a little bit more about how to pick the right sets and how to get them at the right prices. Um, you know, a lot of like a lot of the time there is time to figure out the e-commerce later. I do think everyone should have a plan for how you're going to sell the sets. Don't not have a plan for selling before you buy. But you can figure out the more specifics about the selling later, like how do I get my Amazon account actually set up? How do I get uh, you know, the supplies that I need to ship, stuff like that. You can deal with a little later, but before you start to buy, we need to at least learn how to buy, right? How to build a buying strategy, how yeah. to, how to pick a, a hit list of great sets. And so, um, I guess, you know, to start off with, did you quickly start buying in your first couple of weeks after realization of this, you know, whole market of, 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 uh, aftermarket Lego, and did you make mistakes with your with your choices of sets in the beginning? I did. Um, the answer is yes, I did. I did accelerate pretty rapidly, um, especially with sets that I was familiar with the brand. So anything that 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 was Star Wars, especially that I saw just a limited supply of, I looked for. You know, they don't have a lot of. There's not a lot of sellers on this one. Um, I just know the character. I know how popular it is. I know, like, I just, I pay attention. So I would go heavier there. Um, the, but I also made a decision to go broader, like you said. So I, I purchased a lot of themes. The mistake that I made was going a little proportionately too heavy. Some of it was just bad luck where Lego extended production on some of them. There was, um, there was a Technic set, a couple Technic sets, I think, that got extended. Um, the, uh, what, is it the Porsche and then, I don't know, the motorcycle, I forget the names of the, the sets, but the, they got extended. 
uh, and then some Duplo, some lower price Duplo sets that I knew were, were extremely popular, but just the supply, there was so much supply and still those are not profitable after a year. So right. the mistake is um, not being a little more strategic in where I went heavy. And so I also knew that I could carry it. Like, it's not going to hurt me. I'm in a financial position where I, I kind of calculate in advance. I always imagine, all right, if I have to hold this, first of all, do I have the capital to pay off the credit card bill? Um, and then also, can I afford the storage fees or can I afford, to, do I have a place to keep it? So I'm always thinking about, you know, what if it doesn't sell? But looking back, yeah, I would have just gone, I would have gone even heavier in the stuff that I, I was very confident in and less heavy in the stuff that I was marginally confident in. I kind of went equally heavy across the board and it gave me tremendous data and it made me a way better investor this year. If you look at my profitability and projections this year compared to last year, it's not even close because I became a better investor. And I think I had to go through that, but I don't recommend, especially if you're new, go, you know, be careful where you go heavy especially if you're using, whether it's a 0% credit card or whatever your strategy is, uh, you just, it gets exciting. And the temptation is, is like, wow, it's on sale for 30% off. Right. And it still might not sell for a year at, at a profit. So just tread lightly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's the first skill, you know, that I, I tell everybody is the very first skill is picking is, is building a hit list of, of, of winning sets. Um, and the reason it's the first skill is because then whenever you get tempted by those Prime Day deals or those Black Friday deals, you don't let yourself buy them if they're not sets that you already you know researched, added to your hit list. Or, you know, of course, you could optimize it on the fly and quickly pivot your strategy for a great deal. But you would at least know how to research it before you buy it and right. figure out if it's the right set for you. Um, do you. So you mentioned that you knew Star Wars. And so you started buying heavier on Star Wars. You knew the characters. This is a benefit that I often talk about, which is when you know a theme, it gives you an advantage in terms of, you know, which minifigures are going to become more exclusive or rare, um, which sets are, you know, less likely to be reproduced in the future, which sets uh, have not been released recently in the last couple of years, or which um, not really specific sets, but the, the topic of the set. Right. Let's say they're releasing something like the, you know, Death Star trash compactor. And you're kind of thinking, I don't know that they've had a Lego set about that scene in that movie, you know, in the last couple of years. And so people who are familiar with the theme, uh, you know, especially over a longer period, but, you know, in general are going to have an advantage. Do you feel like your picks, uh, how much did it help you right early on or was there is there any chance that it hindered you a little bit because it made you overconfident in the beginning of, oh, this set has Boba Fett in it, so it's going to be okay, you know, because some people could be overconfident and start buying sets because they know Star Wars. How do you feel like it contributed to your early purchases? I think it gave me an advantage, especially over some of the, what we'll call the older scenes, like the one you mentioned, like from the original trilogy, um, because I do think with anything, there's a recency bias. So if there's a new series coming out on Disney plus, that's, you know, like the bad batch, for example, which didn't exist until a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be some initial juice on that, but a lot of people are seeing it at the same time, whereas a very niche product. Um, but I also pay attention to what, what are people that I know doing and what are they talking about? What are, who are the, what are the star Wars fans that I'm close with? What are they talking about? And so, um, and I also I'm fortunate that I have some Star Wars friends that have kids who buy that buy, that they buy Legos. And so I just pay attention and listen. So that gives me an advantage. I think where um, where it might be a hindrance is. Well, let me put it this way. There there are there's more nuance. The longer I do this, I'm learning that there's more nuance to this, such as how many pieces are in the set, how many minifigures are in the set and those things all which which minifigure, which characters or are in that set specifically. So um, that I was not, I was not paying attention to that stuff when I first got started. And those types of things, if anything else, I think can hedge some of your risk because you, you know, well, okay, this is another exit strategy. If the set doesn't do extremely well and I, and I want to get some capital and I own 50 of these, I could part it out or I could sell the minifigures, you know? So I wasn't paying as much attention to that. I was just, you know, going, going heavy, but so far I'm trying to think if I've had a star Wars set hurt me yet. Um, I mean, I, a lot of them you see back there haven't sold yet. So I can't, I can't count my chickens before they're sold, but most of those are sitting at a profit right now. So 
um, I, I, the sets that I got hurt on were not Star Wars sets. So maybe, yeah. maybe there is something to it if I just look at the data. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just using your knowledge because not all Star Wars sets are great investments. And it right. is a theme that, and you know, it's a theme that can be a little bit um, deceptive because it has some of the biggest winners, such as TIE Fighter Pilot Helmet, which has become the notorious example of what is possible with Lego investing. But there are also other sets that don't quite reach those same heights um, or, you know, that are not great investments in general. And so it's a theme that you need to, you know, you need to pick winners in. You can't just throw darts blindly and hope that it's going to work. There are some themes that are easier to get, you know, reasonable returns in. But when you pick right in Star Wars, you can do very, very well. So having that little bit of extra knowledge is definitely a, bit, a big benefit. I also used your group too. I mean, if I was ever, if I'm ever on the fence, I, 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 I don't allow a crowdsourcing opinion to, like, I give it, I give it appropriate weight. But if I'm, if I'm really on the fence about something, or, or, where your group comes in handy is, is to collect additional data that I might not know about, or that I might not know what to look at. And somebody will say something about minifigures or about uh, inventory they saw locally and that it's been sitting for example, like that, that's all, those are all data points that can help me even if, if, and I, I it, it's a tiebreaker. It can be a tiebreaker for me passing entirely or, or confirming um, what I already knew and, and nudging me to go heavier on it. So I think that's why it's yeah. important. Like investing in, in knowledge is important. And so that's why I'm, you know, I'm happy to, 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 to pay, to be connected to people who are doing this because it just makes it so much easier. I don't have to guess. If, if I'm ever unsure. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Like, and um, I guess there, I think there's a big difference between a community of people who are investing in their knowledge, investing in growing to the next level versus people who are, you know, maybe in a free Facebook group that are kind of just exploring and, you know, and maybe the, the level of knowledge is, is quite different and the support that you get as a result of that. Um, in terms of, so that those early months when you first started out, you know, we talked a little bit about your set picking at that point, but what about your actual sourcing at that point? And, you know, were you kind of focused only on great deals? You mentioned that you kind of started buying in, you know, around the October time frame, or, or, you know, coming into the great deal season. Was it um, the perfect time for you to start buying with the retailers having discounts? Or did you overpay for stuff in the beginning and kind of realize later that maybe you needed better deals and stuff? How did you kind of think about your, your, uh, you know, the discounts that you needed before you invested? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, I did overpay for, for, by overpay, meaning I, I, I overpaid f where it cut into my profits. Um, I, I don't like, and did I overpay for the sets that still haven't sold? You could argue that I did because they still haven't sold at a profit. So to me, it's just about like time horizon too. Maybe if I look ahead four years, I'm going to think it was a killer deal because I paid close to MSRP. Um, but no, I got, I was spoiled because when I started really buying in bulk, that's when the, the heavy sales were going on. And so I kind of got used to, you know, purchasing at, at 20, 30, sometimes 40 or 50% off MSRP. Um, at, to the point where I wouldn't touch it unless it had it, unless it had something that was really hedging that that risk. So um, the stuff that I ended up paying again, where I ended up probably not being patient enough, were were the themes and the sets that I just was investing in because the numbers looked good, but I didn't know enough about the theme. I didn't know enough about the history of that story, that that um, brand or whatever. And I think. Um, if I just look at my results, if I, if I look outside of Harry Potter and Star Wars, and I'm not a huge Harry Potter person, but I, as, a, as a former elementary school teacher, I was an elementary school teacher when Harry Potter was becoming very popular. So I got to live vicariously through my students and they would just tell me everything about this character and that character. So that's why you see the headwigs back there. Like, I get it. Um, <laughs> so that's where I tended to go. I, 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 I think the mistake was saying, well, by the time we get to X date, this will be a good deal. And I really want to get these in my portfolio. And I just wasn't patient enough. So like I said, some of those Duplo sets could end up doing really well, but I'd have to calculate, well, what, what's the actual return on investment after I add up 13 months of storage fees? You know, that, yeah. that's, that's TBD. I don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah. It's interesting with Duplo because they do, you know, 
there's some there are some really great performers in Duplo. Can't, contrary to popular belief, um, a lot of people don't think that there's possible for Duplo sets to grow in value because it's a, it's a much less collectible theme, and it's obviously you know not targeted towards adults who have uh, disposable income. But in reality, you know, a lot of Duplo buyers are just going on Amazon and adding it to the card and checking out without really realizing that the price might have actually inflated. And uh, not realizing that this is a set that was on the shelf two years ago and now it's on an aftermarket price and they just check out and buy it. And right. the demand can still be super strong on Duplo, obviously, depending on the platform you're selling on, because Bricklink is not the best place to sell Duplo. Uh, but Amazon, absolutely. At the same time, you know, even though you can get great price growth on them, they're bigger boxes. So the, the space that you need can be substantially more for the same return on investment. And so I had a, ca a calculation one time because I started my Lego investing journey in an apartment in, my, in New York City with a small little apartment with a tiny piece of a closet for my first investments. And so I made a, a calculation, which I call return on space, mm. which is basically if you calculate the volume of space that you have for your storage and then take your expected return on investment. So let's say a target price you expect to sell at, what would my return be at that target price? And then factor that into your available space. And you could do it by like cubic inches or something like that. Um, what is your return on that space, right? Because you want to get the most possible profit for the space, the available space that you have available. Now, this is getting way too nerdy. And honestly, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't advise most people to even worry about this kind of thing uh, unless you really do have space issues and you want to get the absolute maximum value for that space. But I did. And I did that calculation. And Duplo is terrible when it comes to return on space architecture and some of these other themes that are very small boxes with a ton of value inside those boxes can be a lot better for that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Sorry for the tangent, but that was just, oh, just that, that makes, that's something to look at for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely nerdy. So I'm going <laughs> to, you better believe I'm going to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got it like, over time. I think after a couple of years with Lego investing, you just start to look at things in all sorts of different, interesting yeah. ways uh, for sure. Okay. And then, so that's your, you know, early buying. And, um, you know, a couple of mistakes there, but broadly also some really big wins and those wins being super important for giving you the confidence and the understanding of how to double down. As you mentioned, you looked at what worked and you figured out how to improve this year's buying strategy because of that, which is definitely what I recommend to anybody else who's brand new. Um, what about the selling side of the business? You know, you've told me that you, uh, were, you're selling on Amazon now. So was that your initial goal or did you start on eBay? What was the journey like on the selling side? What was your plan and how did that plan evolve over the last year? Initially, uh, I was just using eBay selling in the experimental uh, phase, selling a set or two at a time. Um, if I got a free gift from Lego uh, online, packaging that up, putting a bundle together, you know, sell a couple of helmets together, stuff like that on eBay. And I quickly realized that I was missing some opportunity in terms of price missing a lot of opportunity in terms of price. Uh, and in, I'm always looking at the spectrum of, of profits. And then there's also the control spectrum. So when you go, when you, when you hand over inventory to Amazon FBA, you are giving up some control, but I also realized you're increasing potential in terms of revenue. So I had to really look at, well, what, what, where am I on that spectrum? And, and I'll, I have some new realizations. I'm happy to share about that, but very quickly, I realized that if I wanted to, a, make more money and B, get more hands off because I, I need to be, I have other businesses that I'm dealing with. I can't, um, boxing things up takes time, you know, taking stuff to UPS takes time. And I realize you can use prep centers and things like that. But so far I've been doing it all just me. This is just my, my, my little side hustle. And so right around, I think it was right around, right before Black Friday last year, I just said, the heck with them, sending it all in. I'm just sending it in. I know I'm a little late. I'm just going to send it all in. And I'm so glad that I did because even well past Christmas, I unloaded way more at profitable prices than I would have if I'd, if I'd have kept trying to do it one off. So yes, there were some things that happened and still happen that irritate me, returns and fraudulent buyers and all of those things. And that happens. I, I have to get better at not letting that affect me, quite honestly, because it bothers me. Because I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you just, why would you? lie to steal 60 bucks. I don't understand, but yeah. I get it. But so aside from those things, I think going to Amazon was the smartest decision. What my approach this year is 
I'm thinking anything that's a set that has a, I haven't decided on the number, whether it's 150 or $200, I seem, seems to be my return percentage on those is much higher. And I have not done the math quite yet to figure out, is it high enough to where it's worth it for me to just sell it on eBay and reduce the chances of fraudulent returns or destroyed boxes? Or am I just overthinking this and it's just part of doing business and I just need to deal with it? So I just sold a few Land Rovers, you know, for like 290 or something. And I think I sold six of them and four got returned. And that I see that and it kind of bothers me. Wow. I'm not sure if that's just, a, I'm, I'm like, is that just an anomaly or is that something to watch? I don't have enough data yet to know. So maybe you, maybe you have thoughts on that, but that's where I am now with the whole Amazon eBay thing. That's super high. That's a very high return. Yeah, I thought so I too. I would say that that's quite unlucky and I don't think that's the norm, the normality. And, you know, okay. my experience hasn't been like that at all. Um, but yeah, that, I think that might be just a really unlucky happenstance. Just, yeah, hopefully. just coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how has the journey with Amazon been for you? Because a lot of people are nervous about getting started with Amazon, you know, yeah. and um, in terms I of, terrified. I was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think it's been worth it, you know, in terms of using FBA for fulfillment and different things? Yes. A hundred percent worth it. There's nothing better than every time I think it's a pain in the neck, there's nothing better, especially when during the busy season, checking the account in the morning and just seeing, revenue coming in and knowing that logistics are handled. I don't have to worry about talking to the customer, worrying about the customer. I just have to worry about where am I priced and paying attention to, to, to inventory and making sure that, that things are staying fluid. I, by far, it's been a net positive, even with the, the like I said, these blips on the radar. But the, the, the nice thing is, is that, okay, if there is a return, and I and I get the set back and it's a mess. I had one Land Rover set last year. I was still able to sell it on eBay at a profit, even yeah. in a damaged condition. And so I, I, once I started to see that that was okay, then I started to really understand how important it is to buy at the right price. Because if you buy at the right price, and it's the same in my real estate world, if you buy at the right price, you're just protecting yourself against so many possible things that can go wrong that when everything goes wrong and you get back half a set, I, I listed on eBay with all the pieces. I said, I don't know what's here. I don't, I have no idea what's here, but here's what I see. Here's the box. And somebody still paid me over a hundred bucks for it. And yeah. like, I, I ended up, I mean, I don't think I made money on it, but that, that hundred dollars, it's significant. That's another couple of sets I can buy. Yeah. So. And this is a huge concept and, you know, there are definitely going to be some people who listen to this and they hear maybe a little bit of talk of, of some returns or some fraudulent buyers or something. And that's enough. That's all they need to hear before they say, I'm, I'm not getting into Lego investing, I, you know, because obviously different people have different tolerance to risk. And of course, if you have an e-commerce business, you're going to have some returns. You're going to have some people who are messing around. Um, and the, the, the thing that's a shame about that is because a, like you said, it's just a cost of doing business and it's it's a part of the game and it's a small percentage and the profits that you're getting from all of the great stuff more than covers the bad stuff. If you have 100 sets and three of them get returned and the other 97 made you 100% return on investment, the yeah. returns just don't really matter in the grand scheme. But secondly, and to, to the last point that you made, my favorite thing about Lego sets is that they appreciate in value even if they're in damaged condition or in used condition. Yeah. And I made a video where I looked at the price differences and you know, like sets that were used were typically selling on eBay for around 40% lower than the new in-box sealed condition prices. That means that if the set has grown in value to 200, you know, and you're selling it and you have a used copy or you have a copy that's been messed up and you know, you know, it's maybe incomplete or whatever you're still going to be selling it for 40%, you know, for, for like a, a profit in some cases or a break even yeah. or close to a break even in many cases. Yeah. And those are the return ones. Meanwhile, your brand new inbox ones are selling for great profits. Yeah. You're, you're so, yeah. It is a small percentage. So I don't want to alarm anyone that, that I'm glad to hear you say it's unusual because, um, and I still get those feelings. I still let returns bother me. And it's just, that's just something I have to work on. It is when I look at the actual data, the data says that even with the returns, the profits are still undeniable. Yes. And so it's yeah. just part of it. Like I return stuff on Amazon and buyers are allowed to return things. That's just, uh -huh. they're, they're allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Then I've had yeah. some cases where the returns go back to inventory and it's fine. And then I've had, um, 
what what's happened lately is I had a few Star Wars sets get returned, and this this just blows my mind. They they request the refund and then never return the item, and I get reimbursed for it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and in some cases Amazon will take care of you, you know, as long as you you know raise the right requests and different things to them. Right. Um. Yeah. So it's fascinating. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Sean, is because you know before we went live, we were talking a little bit about you know not only do you have a background with kind of an extensive background with different types of businesses but also investing in general. And, yeah. you know, you've got other investments, obviously, and you have a kind of a background with making other investments. Can you give a little bit of a broad? Because I, I love the fact that Lego investing is a cross between e-commerce and investing. And some people will say it's not investing, it's it's all e-commerce. But in my mind, anything that has a holding period, anything, anytime that you are holding an, anything with the intention of the value going up, it is an investment. And so... Yes, it is e-commerce. Yes, it is investing. It is a perfect cross between both worlds. And so most of the time when I'm talking to people about it, uh, we talk e-commerce, we talk about selling online, we talk about, you know, Lego specifically. Not often, you know, do we really talk much about how it compares to other investments when, you know, on the investing side. I'm massive, you know, massively interested in various different types of investing, including stocks and real estate. Um, and so it was one of the things that, encapsulated me about Lego investing in the beginning. So I'm curious if that was the same for you uh, when you first saw this kind of thing. Did you think of it like a an e-commerce business play more than an investment? Or do you think of more like an investment at first? And how did it fit in your mind of the, you know, in terms of, uh, and how does it still fit in your mind in terms of comparison with your other investments that you make? Yeah, I saw it much more on as in the investment bucket from from day one. Uh, I've, I have background in real estate both uh, flipping properties and also buy and hold and and lease. Uh, so and also buy, renovate and hold. And, and what all of those things have in common is there you do them to try to generate a profit. But but I always look at, well, what am I being compensated for? Why does the value go up? Why am I receiving that profit? And and so with real estate, if I'm flipping a property, I'm receiving the time value of what it would have cost the buyer to do that work themselves. They're paying me a premium because I did the work for them and I'm handing them a house that's in pristine condition that they can just move into and they don't have to worry about it. And so I'm taking on the risk. I'm taking on the, the work and the time and you get compensated for that, that the market compensates you for that. I looked yeah. at Legos and I said, well, what's the value here? Oh, it's access to the inventory when it's not available in stores. So they're paying, whether they realize it or not, the buyer is paying a premium to me because I was able to hold a set for them all this time and they want the set now, but unfortunately they can't get the set now. And so they're willing to pay more to get the set now than they might've been if it was readily available. So I, I just, I saw the two parallels instantly. I'm not repairing a Lego set like I would a house or I'm not renting the Lego set out, but there's, there's so many principles about it that made, uh, made it easy to do once I saw what, well, Anytime there's profit made, why is it? And once I saw why it was, it, it made complete sense. Um, yeah. And I've done some short-term flips too with some e-commerce stuff. And and I just, I, to me, that this, it just wasn't as predictable as this and as stable as this. Uh, I love having a hold period because that means that if you have patience, you have an advantage. And I do. I'm I'm very patient, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like being having an investor mindset builds that patience you know, and it, it kind of just like your baseball card history kind of gave you the confidence and, and, um, e-commerce know how to, to not be worried about something like, uh, you know, shipping a Lego set across the country or, um, you know, e-commerce in general, your investing background will give you the patience element, will give you the idea or some of the number crunching as well, you know, in terms of return on investment or, compounding you know some of these mentalities that we need because compounding for example is a massive part of what will make a lego investor successful over a 5 10 20 year period but it's not something that a lot of people are kind of thinking about much unless you come from an investing uh, background yeah so yeah that's that's and it's you know i was kind of the same and i was you know i saw and i, I also had the same mentality around the value add because it's something that i think a lot of people are not aware of, or, you know, they maybe think that Lego investors are not adding value, but I a hundred percent agree. We're at, we're adding warehousing, right? We are, we're adding warehousing for the, for this inventory in the meantime, while retailers are out of stock. 
Absolutely. Um, so that's fascinating. So how do you think, um, uh, do you also do stocks? Yeah, I have a little bit. Um, I've, I've moved less, I've moved from more from stocks into real estate. I'm, I'm involved in different types of real estate now. So I, I invest, um, in some apartment syndications and things like that. But I, I do, as a business owner, I have a solo 401k, which is basically just a fancy name for an IRA. Um, but it, it, we get all the benefits of a 401k cause we're a small business. And so in there, I do own a few stocks. I don't, um, I don't typically do mutual funds and things like that. I like, I like researching five or six companies and just, you know, paying attention to those. I'm much more of the Warren Buffett philosophy. Yep. <laughs> um, and I, and I've noticed that I've started to adopt that with the Legos and saying, okay, there's a lot of different ways I can make money here. So why don't I watch a few themes very carefully and, and, and a few sets, a few less sets very carefully than trying to go and just grab a little bit of everything. You know, there's not a Lego index fund I can buy. So, um, so yeah, I still have some in stocks, but most, uh, most of our net worth and we have some in cryptocurrency. Sure I, um, I did cryptocurrency was kind of just like a long time ago. We put a little bit of money just to see what would happen and knock right. on wood. It's turned out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah. By no means am I actively in that world. I like stability. I like I like predictability. Uh, the older I get, the more conservative I get, which is interesting when you see a bunch of you know toys sitting behind me. But um, that should speak to how I view it because I wouldn't do this if I felt like it was really exposing me to super risk. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I approach everything these days. And that comes back to what you mentioned, you know, before with the last question around the margin of safety, building in a margin of safety by buying at the right price, right? Yeah. Because if you buy your inventory at a great price, then worst case scenario, you're you're able to sell and get your money back, right? Yeah. Because you're buying 30% below retail. Even if you sell at retail, you'll cover your platform fees on Amazon or eBay and you'll you'll walk away. Someone's always, someone somewhere will always want a brand new inbox Lego set. And yeah. so if Amazon shut down tomorrow and I had to unload these and I just went to the flea market, I could probably sell these. I don't know if that's legal, but I probably could. Because <laughs> yeah. um, there's stuff You go to a Lego convention, you go to yeah, Facebook marketplace. These are, and that's the advantage of buying stuff that's in demand is, you know, I don't, so you're tying your capital up, of course, you know, so this, this is, you know, there's capital there, but I, I sleep at night knowing, and I have insurance on all of this and everything to make sure that that it's covered and whatnot, because it is in my basement and things can happen. But uh, it's a little different sometimes than buying, I think, a stock in that, okay, maybe Apple's not going to go to zero or, or uh, Netflix isn't going to go to zero. But if you invest in, in the wrong thing, you're giving up, um, I, if something happens to that company and and your asset, it gets frozen or goes to zero, like this is stuff I can see and I can touch and I, I know what to do with it. It just makes me feel good. I agree. I've a hundred percent agree. And it, it is something that some people see it as being a, a riskier endeavor than, uh, you know, other like the stock market, for example, because of maybe liquidity is a little lower. And of course, liquidity is a little lower because you can sell a stock within, you know, less than a second. And um, with Lego, obviously you're going to go and sell it online or sell it down the street, but liquidity is still pretty, pretty good. A whole lot better than something like real estate investing. Uh, because the demand is so strong yep. and we will be able to sell this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm on the same page for sure. Um, and so today, you know, and you you mentioned that, you know, you're around 40,000 invested in Lego sets now. And I did ask you if I was okay to share that number yep. for anyone who's wondering if I just spew that out there. Um, but the, uh, you know, first year, you've really kind of doubled down. You've really, you know, start, you've, you're treating it like a business and you've explained some of your thought process and your mentality. And I love the way that you're coming at this, both with the investing and the business mentality and you're not playing games uh, at the same time, having a lot of fun. Um, you know, I guess going forward, how do you see this playing out in terms of where does it sit in your business portfolio? Where does it sit in your investing portfolio? What are maybe your, some of your plans for your Lego investing journey over the next couple of years? Yeah, a great question. Um, so my wife and I talk often about just our overall business strategy, you know, both the businesses that we run. I mean, you'll hear a lot of people say they run multiple businesses and sometimes that's code word for they're doing a bunch of things that don't make a lot of money. And so just, just for context, the businesses that we run are multi six figure businesses. They're not, you know, these are, these are substantial. Like we have a lot of clients, you know, five figures per month in profit, each of them. So it's like, it, it requires a lot of time. 
Um, and, and, and so it goes through seasons. So right now, like this year, I've actually, if you look at the pace at which I was purchasing some of Legos, some of, some of it is that we were in a period where there's not a lot of sales and we're about to enter some sales. So my, my pace at which I've, I've been acquiring more sets has definitely dropped because we've invested heavily in some other areas in our other businesses. And then that, that seasonality will shift now probably towards the end of the year where I'll go a little heavier purchasing again on, on Legos. My goal is I would love to, to if, if this business, um, you know, could, could, be, could match what one of our other businesses does in profitability each year with, as, with minimal hands-on time for me, you know, that, that would be great. I would love to scale this up further, uh, but I'm not sure, like there's some things I'm going to have to do differently going forward if I want to do that, because A, I only have so much space <laughs> in my house. Um, and B, um, you know, what's becoming harder is actually paying attention to the deals. That's actually where uh, I think, because that's where the money is made for me is on the purchase. So I know that's where the due diligence and the focus needs to be, especially in the next three months. So that's the, that's the nut that I think is going to be the toughest to crack. If I can crack that, whether it's through virtual assistance or notifications or technology, um, then yeah, I think I could go three X, you know, in the next year, what I did this year, you know, cause, and also um, what I do, what our philosophy is, is as the other businesses generate profit, you know, I, I earmark a certain amount for other endeavors, you know, and it's never more than I can afford to lose. So that's a lot of that will be determined by how much money the other businesses make, because that pays for our bills, our mortgage, <laughs> you know, and, all, and our lifestyle. This does not. If, if all these burned, God, I don't even want to say that out loud, we'll be OK. So I'm grateful yeah. that, you know, I mean, it'll hurt. I'm going to be very unhappy if that happens. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I guess we'll see. I would love to go bigger. I really would. I love it. I love it because you've carefully thought out where it's going to fit in, you know, in around your other businesses, but also in terms of your goals for your lifestyle and, you know, and how it's going to impact the way you live, because obviously we all want our Lego investing business to be as big as possible, but there's going to come a point where some people will want to take it and, and, you know, a next step either into storage units or warehousing and different things like that. And other people are going to keep it at a certain balanced level in whatever storage you've been using to, just kind of, you know, reinvest until you maximize what you can do with that space and then start to take profits. And, you know, and that's totally fine as well. Yeah. One way is not better than the other. It just depends on each person's goals, especially when you have other businesses and you think about it, like from a top-down strategic perspective on how Lego investing can slot around the other things that you're doing. And the best thing about Lego investing or one of the best things is that it can perfectly slot around a lot of these things because of what we talked about, the seasonality and the whole time and using FBA and different things to reduce the workload and simplify yeah. systems, you know, simplification as much as we possibly can. I love it, Sean. Fantastic. And I, I you know, I think we've already given so much kind of newcomer advice throughout this naturally throughout the, you know, talking about your first year journey, but if we could just summarize and boil it down as the last question here in terms of, you know, if you're talking to a brand new investor and you're, you're summarizing maybe some of the big learnings or challenges that you've had to deal with in the last year, what are some of the things that you think a new investor should look out for or do, you know, when they're first getting started? Ah, Stephen Covey once said, begin with the end in mind. So have a target, set a target for yourself, um, set like a big target, something that would be like really amazing, whether that's profit money that you make, but also, um, you know, they say when you walk into a casino, you have your limits set before you walk in. And the reason they say that is because the allure is very strong. And the last thing I want to see for any newcomer, or anybody is to have something that has so much potential and so much fun attached with it, be the thing that really hurts you financially. So I think you want to set your targets and set your goals, but also set your initial limit of like, okay, I, I have... X amount, I have a thousand dollars, I have two thousand dollars, and and if if that I can tie up for a little while and see what happens and use that for data for learning. I, I'd like for me, like my initial target was if I can break even in the first round of this and I learn a bunch of stuff, the only thing I'm out is my time, but I can never lose the knowledge. So I, I think don't worry about being super aggressive super early. Put in a number that you feel is a good step forward. 
but that if something, if you had to tie that up for a while, you're not going to lose sleep at night because then you're going to start to make bad decisions. You're going to start to sell too early. Um, you're going to try to force a set that you shouldn't be doing because you're trying to chase your losses. Just like it's not just like a casino because the, the the odds are very different here, but the mentality is what I'm going for. We we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're chasing losses or we're 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 we're, we're, we're paying interest on credit cards because that that stuff can just kill you really fast. Um, and then the last thing I would say is is remember like why are you doing this? Like really get clear on what is it about this? Why this? There's so many ways to make money. You know, why, why this? Like you asked me in this interview, why did you go into it? And I gave you my reasons why. Um, some people get into it because they think it's the next thing that's going to make me rich or the next thing that, that I can just sit on the beach and relax. So just make sure you're being clear with yourself and honest with yourself about why. Because there will be times that you're questioning this whole thing. You're going to say, was this a good idea? Because a lot of other people, I promise you, are going to ask you that same question. So if you're clear on your why, why you're getting into it, that's all that matters. That will keep you uh, sustained through through the ups and downs. Love it. Love it. That's fantastic. Some real nuggets of, of wisdom there, Sean. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. Obviously, from your business background and bringing that to the world of Lego investing, your investing background, and also a year where you've just doubled down and you've kind of learned from your mistakes and you've figured things out, you've gotten scrappy, and now you've gotten to a point where you have a, a sizable inventory and I can see some great sets on those shelves. <laughs> so you've obviously That's learned cool. how to pick pick well. Um, so I love it. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate the discussion. Um, let's keep in touch. Let's catch up again uh, sometime. So thanks, Sean. appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating. It really does help us to bring you amazing content. And if you want to learn more about building an income with Lego, check out BrickBox.net or find us on YouTube at BrickBox to learn about Lego investing.